It's coming now to think a bit about what we've just heard. And as I said, this is the last week in our series on this book of Ruth. And uh, those of you who've been here for the previous weeks looking at this, will remember that we've picked this up as a story in the Old Testament, um, which is really a story about ordinary people. Uh, it's a story about a small town is in Israel and what's happened there in a quiet, fairly obscure part of Israel's history, and people dealing with the normal challenges of life. So this is why it's a helpful book for us. Um, it gives us a bit of a sense of what it was like to be an ordinary person in the time of the Bible. And Ruth, we've seen, she's the wife of an Israelite man, but herself a native of uh, the nation of Moab, which is a nearby uh, country to Israel. And after her husband died, we heard she follows her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, back to their hometown of Bethlehem uh, to support her and to share their life together. And what developed there, as we've seen over the, last week, over the last few weeks, is this story of redemption. So Ruth and Naomi, we found they're supported by Boaz, a man who owns the land in Bethlehem, and he allows Ruth to gather the grain in his fields and encouraged her because of his good character. Well, that was in the video that we saw. And last week, we thought about how Naomi and Ruth approached Boaz to be as their, their redeemer of their family, the guardian redeemer, uh, to marry Ruth, to bring her into his family, and so they be, could be secure in their land. And that's the romance of the Bible that we were talking about last week. So it's a nice story, isn't it, Ruth? Uh, it's a story about good people. It's a story about people who are attempting to follow the laws of God um, and to live in harmony with the Spirit of God. It's a pleasant story to read. And I think it's also a story about people essentially going above and beyond the letter of the law that God gave them um, and into the spirit of the law and what the kind of people God wanted them to be. So Ruth, we see, goes above and beyond the obligation she has to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Uh, she follows her, she stays with her, commits her life to her and her God, even though it would have been easier for her to stay in Moab and to, be part, to remain with her people. And Boaz also goes above and beyond the law of Moses, not just giving Ruth what he sh should have according to the law, the bare minimum, but generously pouring out favour and uh, abundance on her. And I think in, in this way, both Ruth and Boaz, as we, I think, talked a lot about last week, are really uh, reflections of God's character and the kind of heart he has for people. So it's a great story to remind us of that. But I think this brings us to our theme today, which is, again, to explore why is this book in the Bible? Why does Ruth have a place in the Old Testament? Why did the people of God treasure this story and read and reflect on it over and over again over the, gen over the centuries? Why do they deliver it over to future generations to meditate on as well as we're doing today? And I think that as we read this last chapter, as uh, we heard it just then, we can see why. Because the story of Ruth we hear is not just a standalone story about this woman and her family, but it actually links up with the rest of the story of the Bible uh, and also in the end the story of Jesus himself. So the events of chapter 4, as we read them, are actually focused very strongly on the idea of inheritance and family names and the importance of that to people. Uh, most of the chapter is actually a detailed description of a negotiation, a transaction between Boaz and this other man who is the possible guardian redeemer for Ruth. And the last two chapters had outlined the background and why they got into this situation. So under the law of the time, to remind you, it was possible for someone to... Uh, for a member of an extended family to redeem or buy back the land of someone who had lost control of it. 
such as the family of Elimelech, Naomi's husband had, uh, through his sons and his and his sons' untimely deaths. They lost control of their land, but it was possible for someone to buy it back. And that could also involve bringing the widow of this man into back into the family through marriage and restoring her place in the household. So this is what they're sort of figuring out, how this is going to work. They're figuring out, Boaz and this man, whether they want to take up this responsibility and what it would mean for them. And the negotiations are based on the implications of this process for the names of their family and what it means for their inheritance. So we see initially the other man is interested in acquiring Naomi's land and getting that into his estate. But Boaz has a bit of a trick for him because he says, but you have to also take along uh, Ruth as well. Um, And he's not willing to take upon it the responsibility of marrying Ruth. uh, Because he's concerned, as he said, that doing so would endanger his own family and his own estate. Uh, because as we understand it, under this law, this set of laws, if this man were to marry Ruth and to have sons, they would be considered legally still the sons of Marlon, uh, Ruth's dead husband, to carry on his name. And so this man's estate might get split up between his own sons and the sons of Ruth and her family. He doesn't want to take that risk he, um, because he, be- he believes his own family name might be damaged by this arrangement. So that's why he says no. Um, and it's important to understand how important it was in, in ancient Israel about to be concerned about the family name. Um, like many people even today, the family name, that identification was hugely important to people. It's not quite as important, I think, to many people today, though it does actually come up. I remember when we were about to have our first child, when, when a number of people found out it was going to be a boy, it was like, great, someone to carry on the Bowles family name. And I'm, okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> uh, that's fine. But for those, in this time, it was hugely important for them to, because the tribe or the clan and the name associated with it was part of their identity. And, you know, the people of Israel, they were called after their ancestors, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they took their tribal name, their, sort of their last name, from which of the sons of Jacob they were descended from. So we're reminded in verse 11 to 12 of chapter 4 that the people in Bethlehem were descended from Jacob's son, Judah. Uh, And the elders and the people of the town give a blessing to Ruth and Boaz as they formalise their engagement, praying that Ruth would be like Tamar, who was Judah's uh, wife and um, whose son Perez was born from. Now, if you know the story of Genesis, that's actually a strange blessing or a complicated one to give because Judah and Tamar had a very difficult relationship and Judah didn't treat her very well. But I think the reason why they're saying this is because Tamar, Judah's wife, was actually vindicated as a righteous woman in this relationship and someone who had brought God's um, faithfulness back to her family. And so I think they're saying, we think Ruth can be someone like this. Someone who doesn't seem to be promising. She's from Moab. She's a foreigner. We don't know who she is. But somehow she's become an integral part of God's plan for this family and has been brought into it. Because the real point of this book is the last section, verses 13 to 22, where it's revealed by the author that Boaz and Ruth started a family and that several generations later, it was King David himself who was born to that family. And David, of course, is the greatest of the Old Testament kings. Uh, In one sense, seen often as the ideal of what a king from God should be like, someone who has a heart for God and leads people in that heart too. And so David's story starts in the next book, 1 and 2 Samuel, those books talking about him. And it includes a promise that one of his descendants are going to be the king forever over God's kingdom. So this is an important family, and Ruth is connected to that. So... While the book of Ruth seems to end in actually in a way that's quite boring to us, it actually just ends with a list of names. 
Um, it's actually, this is supposed to be the exciting twist at the end of the story of Ruth for those who read it. It's like, you know, those little snippets. If you ever watch the Marvel movies, you know you have to stay right to the end of the credit, after the credits, because that's when they show this little extra bit at the end that actually can even completely change the whole story. I'd encourage you to do that if you ever watch those movies. Um, so this is the post-credit sequence where it goes, aha, did you realise that this is, what, this is where this is going? So we learn that the story of Ruth is not just the story of a particular family. It's a nice story. Uh, it's a part of the story of God's faithfulness to, the, to his people across generations, uh, guiding and leading them to salvation and to the blessing that he's promised them, um, the promises he made back to Abraham uh, about what he was going to do with his family. And the book's saying, well, Ruth, this humble Moabite widow, not an important person, is actually going to be the great-grandmother of King David. Um, and it's a wonderful reminder then for people of the goodness and faithfulness of God uh, that he will use ordinary people and their ordinary lives and actions, this simple story of Ruth, uh, to do wonderful things and to change the world. Uh, and I think as for Christians, uh, for us as Christians, there's an even bigger follow-through, of course, to the story of Ruth because when we open the New Testament, you find Ruth talked about on the very first page of the New Testament. So the Gospel of Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus. And we see in this that Ruth is part of the family line of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1 then gives this genealogy, a list of names throughout the generations. Um, it's designed to demonstrate that Jesus is part of this line of David, his family, by tracing Jesus' family back through all through the Bible story. Now, something that we find boring, but Matthew and his people thought was very exciting, that Jesus, it seems, is the fulfilment of God's promises to this family, to Abraham, to David, and everyone who's come in between. Through them, all the world is going to be blessed through, this, through Jesus being born, and God's kingdom is going to be established forever. And Ruth is right in there, in Matthew chapter 1, along with Boaz, in verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And I do like this verse because, as we saw, it contains the joyful reminder that one of Jesus' descendants looks like he was named Salmon, um, which is uh, something I've just always appreciated in the Bible. It's, you know, it's probably trivial, but it just always, always amuses me, and it's a great little... <laughs> sorry, sorry, point it out. But I think it's Salmon, you know. I don't want to spoil the fun, but I think it's Salmon. Um, so the point of this chapter is to say the genealogy is not just a list of names of Jesus's ancestors. It's actually a story of God and his promises to people. Um, a promise that through these people, despite all the failures of the people who have come in the Bible, um, and through the lives of these people, however simple they were and however flawed they were, God's going to work and transform the whole world through them. And so, you know, Ruth, if you had to pick this, you know, this foreign widow, you know, a humble person. She's an unlikely candidate for being the great, 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 great uh, times 31 uh, grandmother of the Son of God, of the Messiah. You know, would you pick such a person? But she's there in that list and in that family because of her faithfulness and her loyalty to Naomi, her trust in God, uh, and also because of Boaz's goodness and generosity and his trust in what God was doing and his obedience. So I think as I finish Ruth this week, I want to encourage us all to remember that um, significance in the history of the world, significance with God and with him, is not a matter of the great or apparently great achievements that we make, or the great abilities or the privileges that we have, 
or what seems to be profound contributions to the world as a whole. Uh, there's lots of things going on that we think are important, um, but that's not necessarily what God's opinion is. So whoever wins the, the Australian Open uh, tonight will probably not have the same effect as this, you know, as a, small, as a small person like Ruth doing something faithful. So what God seems to be looking for, we see in Ruth, is humble, open people, you know, who will say yes to God and cooperate with his spirit uh, working in their lives. People who are going to take up the part in God's kingdom that's for them, however small it seems. And Ruth was one of those people. She did that. And so did Boaz. Um, and that couple, Ruth and Boaz, are almost, I think, like types in the Old Testament of Mary and Joseph in the New Testament, the parents of Jesus. Humble people from Bethlehem who were willing to have God work through, their, through them and who invite him into their lives. And out of that, Ruth says, amazing things can come. And I believe that is true for us as well, and it will be seen to be true if we have the same attitude that Ruth and Boaz did. So... Uh, as we move on from Ruth into the rest of the year, I think it's encouraged us to adopt, if we can, the spirit of Ruth and Boaz, which is openness to God and generosity with what he's given. Um, and we never know what can come from that in the fullness of time. So I want to pray as we re reflect on that and what this means for us. So let's bring our, our, our lives to God. We thank you, Lord, that you have decided to work through simple people, such as Ruth and Boaz, and that your spirit can bring great things from them. And we pray that we too would be encouraged to open our hearts and lives to you and let you work through us as they did. We pray that uh, we would be willing to do that. And uh, we thank you for the blessing that you bring 